0: You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by John Frazier boys basketball coach at Summit High School. Coach, how are you doing today?
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Coach, for taking the time to to chat with us. Uh, Coach, I want to get started by just giving you a chance to share with us a little bit about your your coaching journey, maybe how you got involved in coaching and how you ended up as the boys basketball coach at Summit High School.
2: Yeah, you betcha. So uh, kind of an interesting uh, path to get into coaching and, uh, it just it started a long time ago. I was really lucky when I was, when I was in junior high school. Um, my, my coach at the time was a mentor to me and, um, he actually uh, approached the school about having me coach our seventh grade team. So as a, uh, as a ninth grader, I was hired to coach the seventh grade team. Um, which, you know, now I don't know if that'd be even legal, but at the time it was, uh, it was a pretty cool opportunity <laughs> for, for a young kid. Uh, to get his his first crack at coaching. And I know for for my coach at the time, he just thought it was a great chance for me to develop my little leadership skills. Um, and, you know, fortunately, just getting a taste of coaching, I just loved it. And so, you know, continuing all the way through my high school years, I continued to coach at the middle school and really never stopped. So um, even after, you know, graduating high school, moving into college, I continued to help out with uh, with our high school program at that time. Um, and really, never took a break from it so it's i've uh, been been fortunate now to be having coached for you know almost twenty five years now, even though i 'm i 'm a young guy so uh yeah fortunately i got it i tasted it early and uh it found it was a real passion of mine and um really fortunate to now be in a position where I can be a head coach of a of a of a program here so um when I moved to Bend in two thousand and five, I was lucky enough to get a position at Bend high school working as a JV and and varsity assistant coach. Um, And then when a position opened up at Summit High School about a decade ago, um, I was really fortunate to to get that job. So uh, Summit's provided just an awesome, you know, opportunity for me to work with great kids and a really competitive school. And um, so, yeah, really lucky to be where I'm at. For sure. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about,
1: take a minute to kind of, reflect on the season that we all just had, a um, very, yep. very strange season, very different than anything that we were uh, have ever experienced before. Uh, what are maybe some of the key takeaways that you have from this past season in, in this rushed June half-summer yeah. ball, half-regular season?
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, it, what an interesting year that we've all experienced. I mean, it's, you know, certainly in the coaching realm it's been been unique, but, you know, obviously everybody has their own story of what the last you know, 18 months has looked like. Um, you know, I, when you say takeaways, I think, you know, one of my big takeaways is just truly how tough and resilient kids are. You know, I mean, the stuff that they were forced to go through, and um, I just was constantly amazed at just how resilient they were and how no matter what happened or how many roadblocks, you know, came in their way, they just seemed like they continued to come to the gym with a great attitude and just kind of rolled with the punches. And, you know, I think as adults, I think we maybe – had a harder time with it than uh, than the kids did. It just seemed like they continued to just enjoy being in the gym, enjoy competing with each other. Um, so, you know, that was probably the biggest takeaway for me. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, now having the chance to kind of look back at the last year with our kids um, and, and have a little bit of perspective on it, I think it provided a, a kind of unique opportunity for us as coaches and, you know, for leaders in our program to have the time to do some unique stuff. You know, I think as as coaches, I, I'm sure you had lots of meetings with your staff about, okay, how do we handle this? What are we going to take from this? What's this season going to look like? Or what are our goals? I mean, I think that it constantly changed as to what our expectations are and, and, and what we're hoping to accomplish this season. And I think for me, ultimately, it just came down, yeah, hey, let's, let's create a positive environment for these kids to be together. Um, you know, I think that was one of the things that, so many of my athletes expressed to me is they just missed the camaraderie of being in the gym together. And so I wanted to create a framework for kids to just be in the gym and be able to support each other and for us as coaches to be there for them. Um, so I, I think that was something that was really important to me. And, um, you know, I also think it provided us the opportunity to really dive into kind of our culture building and some of our leadership training that we like to do with our kids. Um, you know, in in a typical season, there's just this urgency with everything that we're doing, that there's a game on Tuesday or a game on Friday and we have game plans to get in and we have you know, so much to install and practice that, um, you know, the importance of, of culture building is certainly there, but it has to be kind of sped up where I think this past year having the, as much time as we did and, you know, trying to be creative for practices where there's no contact and face masks and everything else, um, you know we really tried to lean into just the culture building and, and, and leadership stuff and to be honest with you I, it was it was really cool to be able to have have that extra time and not have the pressure of of having to move on to the next drill so we could really dive into some of those things and I think hopefully that's something that our kids will be able to take away from this last year and, and hopefully something that ultimately is going to make our program stronger is that we did have the time to really dive into some of those things so um, yeah, that's probably a unique year, but, you know, looking back on it now, I think there's
1: definitely some positives that,
2: that we're able to come out of it um, for our program.
1: Yeah. Is that something you think, you know, that culture, leadership building, is that something you think that you'll take from this year and continue to prioritize? You know, maybe if you go mm-hmm. back to quote unquote normal next year. And how do you kind of prioritize that in a, in a normal season?
2: Yeah. I mean, for us, it's, it's been huge. I think for, um, you know, I really feel like the difference between winning and losing is so small. And normally, for me, I believe it comes down to culture. You know, how much do you care about your teammates? How much do you trust your teammates? How much do you trust your coaches' staff? Um, so, I, yeah, I just think so much of it comes down to, to those pieces. And, you know, I think as coaches we can, we can get a little too, you know, deep in the weeds with, you know, how many secondary steps can we run for something that we saw on film when, you know, maybe – spending an extra five or 10 minutes just on some of the culture pieces ultimately is going to lead to a heck of a lot more success. And, you know, ultimately when you're looking at, you know, what is our goal as coaches and what are we trying to accomplish with these kids? What tools are we trying to give them? You know, if we can teach our kids to be great men of character, I mean, like what a, what an honor that is, as opposed to, Hey, I, I, Graduate high school and I learned 36 out of bounds plays. You know, I think um, you know having some perspective on what what tools are we giving these kids when they graduate to go be, you know, great fathers and great husbands and you know people that can accomplish things in the workforce. Um, So you know, for our program, we're always going to put a huge emphasis on culture and and just character of kids. Um, But then the challenge is just how do you how do you build in the time in your practice? You know, and I think Uh you know as you know in, in a high school setting it's not like college. I mean, it's, you get down with practice or school at four o'clock and the kids are there five minutes later and you got practice and they got to get home. They do homework and dinner and everything else. You don't have those, those extra hour or two every day where you can meet with kids. So I think, you know, we need to be real creative about, you know, how can we make sure that we're investing the time that we need for kids to really make, you know, positive changes in their lives. Um, and that's something, if you don't prioritize, if you don't plan it out, it's probably not going to happen. So, um, I think just you know. continuing to make sure that no matter what, that is, that is a priority. It's going to happen. And you may have to, to take away from some of the other things that, that you typically spend time on. Yeah.
1: You, know, you talked about, you know, like 510 minute culture building activities. Can you, can you give me one maybe that you tried this year that you thought was real helpful?
2: Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've started to find more and more kids is that, um, they, you know, they're, just their use of of, of cell phones and social media and those kind of things. Um, I used to do a lot more kind of open dialogue conversations with kids and, you know, allow them to speak openly and freely um, to each other in a group setting. And it seems like they're less and less comfortable in those settings these days. And so I've tried to, rather than fight that, maybe try to embrace their communication style a little bit more. And so one of the things that we did is just, you know, beginning of practice said, all right, everyone grab your cell phone. Open up your notes, you know, in your in your phone, and here's what we're going to talk about. I want you guys to take some notes on there, and then I would encourage them to. Here's the question of the day. I want you to answer that and put it in there, and then I'd have them at the end of it text it to me. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, they're they're a little bit more comfortable in that way of expressing themselves. Um, but then you kind of have a, a a written dialogue of everything you guys are are, are going over, um, and then it's a really easy jumping point for future conversations with kids you know if, if they you can go back and say remember a month ago this was something you said was really important to you and this is something that you know this was your goal or this is what you said you wanted to become or what you wanted to accomplish um, and I think it could be just a, a launch pad for for then having that, that deeper one-on-one conversation with a kid to to hold them accountable or challenge him or ask him you know additional questions about something maybe you didn't know about because um, it just seems like it's it, it is harder to get information out of kids these days. It just seems like they're maybe a little bit more reserved at their, um, you know, just the way they communicate. So um, I thought that was something that was really effective, and it's just something I hadn't done before. Um, I think, you know, maybe being a little bit more old school, it's like, you know, you just, you expect kids just to talk. And, uh, you know, I think you got to kind of meet them where they're at. So that was something that I thought was uh, just a, a successful way to, to reach
1: them. Yeah. No, I like that. That's great, Coach. Uh, Coach, let's talk about uh, building a youth program, something that we as high school coaches have to do, right, in order to set ourselves up for, for future success. Uh, talk about some of the things that you do to to benefit your your youth program and the time you spend with them.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I think you're absolutely right. You know, just the way you phrased the question, it's, it's something you have to do if uh, if you want to have – you know, future success. And I certainly believe that. I think that, um, you know, it's our job as high school coaches, isn't to coach a varsity team. It's, it's to run an entire program. And I think if we take that approach that, you know, we want to be a positive force throughout our community, not just affect the the 12 kids that are on our varsity team. So, um, yeah, I've certainly taken that approach similar to what it sounds like, you know, you have done. And, you know, so we've, we've really dove into that, that youth program, um, in our area in central Oregon, we have a, a kind of a youth select league that most of most of the schools participate in and that's been a real positive for us over the last fifteen years or so. I I think that's really helped Central Oregon basketball just be way more competitive than it was, you know, say in the early two thousands. Um, you know, just getting the better kids playing against each other and um so that's been something I've been a real big proponent of trying to Um, continue to have that locally for us. I think it's really important. Um, And then in addition to that is just making sure that, that our youth kids, as well as the coaches, that they feel really connected to the high school. And, you know, whether that's camps or clinics, whether that's, you know, youth nights at our games where the, you know, the young kids get to go into the locker room and meet the high school kids. And, you know, we'll do events where, uh, our youth program comes to the game. They get to come in the locker room afterwards and then we have pizzas delivered and they, you know, share pizza with the varsity team after the game. And, you know, just having that sense of community, I think is, is really important. Um, not only for future success, successes as basketball players, but also just for the community as a whole, just for, you know, younger kids feeling like they're part of something bigger than themselves. You know, one of the, I think the, the kind of unintended consequences of that is it also puts, um, the high school kids in a position where they realize that there's little eyes that are watching them, you know, they that they're a mentor to somebody, that they're a role model to somebody. Um, and I think that puts it in just a little different perspective that, you know, they need to behave a certain way and they need to act a certain way. And when they, you know, maybe don't do something on the court they're proud of, you know, they look around and realize there's a bunch of fifth and sixth graders that are that are watching them. Um, and so I think that's a real positive on both sides, um, I think one of the, the challenges is just, you know, trying to make sure that, that especially coaches who oftentimes are volunteers at the lower levels, um, that they're getting the support that they need. You know, I think you see it obviously at the high school level just with coach turnover. It's hard being a coach, and you know, often if you're a seventh grade coach and uh, and you're not getting any support, and it's hard it's going to be really difficult to, to retain those people and keep them excited about what they're doing. So um, for us, that's something we're always looking, you know, for new ways, how can we better support our youth coaches so that they have the tools they need to be successful and also so it's still fun, you know, so they enjoy go, going to the gym and, and working with our kids. Um, and so that's that's a piece that's like every year, here's what we're doing, it's working pretty good, what can we do better? You know, I, I think – that's one area in our program where we're constantly like, I think this can get better. I think it can improve because, um, again, it's just, you know, working in youth sports, is, there's just challenges. And so unless we're proactive and thinking outside the box a little bit, I think, um, you yeah, know, we could find ourselves in trouble a little bit. Um, curious on your end, what what do you guys do that you think works well on that side?
1: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, that's so tough. I think, you know, it's with part of the question and balancing your time between your high school program and your youth program, right? Cause, mm-hmm. uh, the day, the days you have off from your varsity program may be, uh, the youth's playing. And so you're trying to go to the youth game and you're trying to, uh, do all that. But, you know, we do, we do a clinic, like it sounds like you guys do, um, mm-hmm. try to do a clinic for our youth coaches, get them involved and, and around. And, um, I usually, uh, send out. Uh, emails of our practice plans to our youth coaches as well um, so they can get an idea of some of the drills that we're doing and and, uh, sometimes I get some follow-up hey what does that look like how can I do that Um, or even inviting them on on our huddle you know because that's a Mm -hmm. great way to teach as well so uh, sometimes what we've done is actually filmed some of the drills that we do and then share that with with them as well Um, but like you said I mean gosh there's always more that we can be doing for our youth program um and always looking for new and better ways to to help them out cuz like you said I mean, they're volunteers right and oftentimes yeah. they're a parent yeah. um which can be tough too uh for a variety of reasons but you know. yeah <clears throat> uh i want to talk about the the other end maybe uh, of your program and start talking about uh alumni right so i know yeah. that you guys have done some cool stuff with your alumni as part of your program uh, what are some of the things that you do and how do you keep your alumni involved in what you're doing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, um, I guess the reality is your your alumni are, are I guess it's the relationships that you form with your current players creates the framework for whatever your alumni relations are going to be, you know. And so mm-hmm. I always look at, it like, you know, you know, these current players that I'm working with, if I if I can figure out ways to develop, you know, true and meaningful and impactful relationships with them, then, you know, uh, a relationship post-high school just is going to kind of flow naturally and freely from that. Um, you know, if we if we don't take the time to get to know our athletes, if we don't care about them, if we don't, you know, really get to know who they are as a person um, – it's difficult to imagine a scenario where when they get done with high school and they're off to college that they're going to be real excited to be back in the gym and reconnecting with their coaching staff. So, you know, I think for us as an entire staff, or we talk about all the time is, you know, you've, you know, kind of midway through the year, I always tell our coaches, Hey guys, you've, you've earned the right to be hurt. You've earned their trust. So let's make sure that we're, that we're building those relationships and asking those questions and talking to them about their life and what they want to accomplish um, and you know, really developing those meaningful, impactful relationships with kids, and then you know there's no greater paycheck in the world than you know when a kid graduates and all of a sudden he's he's back in the gym, you know, and you see him there watching a, a game in June or you see him at Christmas time watching a game, and you know they're cheering you on and they're coming in the locker room after the game. Like to me, it's there's there's nothing better than that, knowing that that hopefully your program had a had an impact on that kid and that they're excited to then come back and be part of, of what you have going on. Um, I think the, you know, one of the hard parts for a lot of coaches around, around the state and around the country is just, you know, when you have coach turnover as much as we do. And I, you know, I think you, you mm-hmm. hear stats about coaches only last in three years now. Um, you know, it's difficult to have that legacy and that brotherhood where it's, um, you know, players want to continue to come back because oftentimes it's, it's, it's new coaches that they don't know. Um, and so I feel really fortunate that, I, that I've that i been at Summit long enough where, you know, we have this, this lineage of guys that, that continue to come back to the gym and they know the current guys. Um, and so there's just a cool brotherhood that that we really um, embrace. Um, you know, one of the areas I think one way it, it naturally grows is kind of like we're talking about with our youth programs is by having, you know, a lot of youth camps and clinics and those types of activities you know our current high school kids, they get to know who are the fourth graders and fifth graders and sixth graders, so that four or five years from now, when our current guys have graduated, that's the next group that's playing, and there's natural relationships there where they want to come back and support those guys. So, um, you know now we we're really lucky that we do have you know an active uh, alumni that's that's still really invested in our program. Uh, one of my favorite things we do, and something you know an easy thing for for other programs to do, is just have an alumni game. And so at Thanksgiving, we have, we have an alumni game and um, you know, we get everybody back in the gym and all the, you know, the parents come back, we fill the place. And um, it's just a great way for the kids to get back on the court together. They get to wear their old jerseys and play. And um our current high school guys, you know, they stand in the stands and cheer them on. So uh, that's a really good alumni community building event that, um, that has been really fun for us. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's, yeah, you, know, you know, if you've done a good job, when you know, five, ten years from now is when you get the invite to somebody's wedding, or you know, they call yep. you for advice about you know the next next job that they're thinking about taking or not taking. You know, it's like you know, hopefully that's when you realize that maybe there was an impact there, and and hopefully you were able to you know kind of give them a foundation for some future success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, last question before we, we head to a quick break here, Coach. I kind of want to talk about um, as the head coach, obviously, as you've mentioned, you're you're running a, an entire program, and I think you guys have three teams at Summit. Is that correct? We do, correct, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you kind of spend your time uh, to make sure that you as the head coach are, are spending time with all three teams and, and coaching mm-hmm. every kid in your program?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that's probably one of the, you know, the biggest challenges that we all
1: face is, you
2: know, you have, you have a a finite amount of time, you you know, two hours, whatever it is that you allocated. And how do you make sure that, that all your kids are having the right number of reps and that they're having the right experience and they're growing in the way that you need? Um, and so for me, I think, you know, one of the things I tried to do early in my career was I tried to do everything. And I was trying to run every single drill and I was trying to, you know, be the voice in every drill. And, um, ultimately I found it just didn't work very well. And so it wasn't until, you know, three, four years in that I really learned that, you know, I need to make sure that I have great assistants and great JV, great freshman coaches who I completely trust. And then I need to, I need to give them the freedom to run the thing. And, you know, that all of a sudden frees me up to be able to, to roam a little bit, you know, to be able to pop into different drills that they're running and, you know, offer some of my advice or how I'm seeing things it gives me an opportunity to maybe pull a kid out of a drill and talk to him for a couple minutes, uh, where, again, early in my, my career, it was I had to run everything myself. And you know, that's something I feel like I just eventually learned hey, there's a better way to do this. And I think also it. it allows your assistants to have greater ownership over the program and gives them a chance to grow as coaches, you know, for those that want to continue to advance and um, you know, they need that experience and it's fun to watch them really become their own, their own voice. Um, and so what well, I think is that is at some point you need to invest in your coaches so that, that they have the tools they need to, to be able to teach the the concepts and everything that, that you'd like to see. So um, for us, I found I may spend more time now with my JV, with my assistant coaches, you know, meeting away from practice um, so that they have all the tools they need to be able to adequately, you know, run their own team and and to run drills and everything else. I think, um, you know, summer ball has always been great for us. Uh, You know, during that June window, I really try to allow, you know, the other coaches in my program to really run stuff, you know, I'll take games or I'll just sit the bleachers and watch and let, you know, let my assistant be the head coach with the varsity guys, Um, you know, and try right. to get them, you know, really prepared so that by November, December they can hop in. They know exactly how to run the drills and they can do it. And the kids are used to hearing their voice. Um And I think that's a real, you know, positive way to do it. Um, so, again, you know, I think mostly that was learning from my own failures is that there's got to be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm uh that it kind of stumbled into something that seems to work uh, a lot more effectively. Um and It allows me, I think, like I said, to be able to to reach and connect with more kids in my program instead of just those top, you know, eight or 10 varsity guys that that as a varsity coach you might end up coaching more and more. So.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. Good stuff, coach. Uh We're going to take a break. We'll return with more from coach Frazier right after this on the Oregon basketball coaches podcast.
0: coaches as you prepare for the upcoming season don't forget to renew your obca membership membership includes access to exclusive resources from high school coaches across the country as well as access to lucio sports technology the same technology used by nba franchises membership starts at just 15 dollars. don't delay renew your obca membership today
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach John Frazier. Uh, Coach, if I were to come to a practice of yours and, and uh, just watch, what, what are some of the things that I would see and hear uh, in a typical Summit High School practice?
2: Yeah, That's such a great question because it's funny. We pose that to our high school kids like every week. You know, if there was somebody that came in the gym, what would they see? What would they hear? What would it look like? Uh, what makes us different? You know, I think that's one of the things that we really try to, to to pound home with our kids is, you know, it is really easy to be average. You know, any team in the country can show up and do kind of the same stuff. And if you want to be different, what's going to differentiate us? What's going to be that one or two things that when a coach comes in, they say, holy cow, this is different than other practices I've been in. Um, and so for us, yeah, it's something that – the kids have to have ownership over what makes us different, what makes us unique. I think mean, for us, you know, our, our our program is built on relationships. So, you know, if, if you're saying what is one thing about our program, it's about relationships. I think it's about kids' relationships with each other. It's about coaches' relationships with kids. And that all, you know, creates the trust and commitment and toughness that we really look for. Um, so for us, you know, in a practice scenario, we we pride ourselves on being efficient and being really high energy. Um, we don't waste time. We get from drill to drill. I don't run two and a half hour, three hour practices. You know, we get in and out hour 45 and, you know, get our work in. Um, we have a, just a very energetic, active um practice. Um, you know, I think for anyone out care if you're five years old or if you're in the NBA finals, like you play basketball cause it's fun. And so if, you know, if our practice don't reflect a certain amount of fun and joy and energy, then I think we're doing it wrong. So, you know, for us, we're trying to have a good time, trying to compete, trying to have fun with it. Um, and the second that, that we're not able to play with that kind of passion, then it means we're probably either as coaches not doing a great job or we're not giving the kids the, the right framework to go to work that day or, We've just gone too long. It's time to call it, call it a day and move on to the next day. So, um, you know, for me, I think that's – I've always prided my, my teams on – they care about each other, they trust each other, they enjoy playing together, they have fun playing together. Um, and, you know, it's, again, it's a, it's a long season. And, you know, for our kids, I want them to be fresh by the end of February as we're going into playoffs. And I want them to just love being in the gym together. Um, you know, I think obviously, you know, you when you talk coaching and you talk high school sports – so much of, you know, culture is kind of the, the word. Uh, and I, I tell our kids that, you know, we talk about culture, but what does that mean? What's that mean to a 16-year-old? And oftentimes the way I describe it to them is just what does it feel like in the gym? When you walk in the gym, what's it feel like? That's what your culture is. like. Are You, you walk in the gym, are you excited to be there? Does that provide you energy after a long day in school? You know, you walk in, is it every kid in the gym giving high fives and saying hello to their friends? Or is it like, okay, here we go. i got to get through these next two hours um So for us, it's you know, you know, the feeling of the gym is is really important. And you know, if they're not if they're not totally bought in and loving being there and enjoying competing, then I think we got we're gonna have a hard time winning games on on Tuesdays and Fridays.
1: no <clears throat> Is that what you look at? I mean, the question I, I was gonna follow up with is, how do you know you had a good practice? Like when you walk out, how do you know that you had a good practice that day?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think I. Um, so I'm, unfortunately I do a little bit of work with a group called Proactive Coaching and one of the, the mm-hmm. things we've we've talked about a lot is just, you know, what does a successful season look like? And so how do you know if mm-hmm. you've been successful? I mean so often it's you know, at least in the papers and you know in the community, and maybe what was your record or where'd you finish in the state. Um and yeah, obviously as, as coaches we know that's that's hardly the truth. So I think for us it's right. uh, do you have any do you have any regrets? Uh, do you have any regrets about the season do you have any regrets at all is there anything that's holding you back on that um you know i think did you reach your potential so like those are the two keywords that we use is you know do you have regrets did you reach your potential and so i think we can you know we so we use that same attitude as we look at practice so we evaluate our practice at the end of the day it's you know do we have regrets do we hold? do we hold back do we not give it at all um and then, you know, did we reach our potential in that day? Did we play as well as we could? Did we improve? Um, and, you know, we'll pose those questions to our kids at the end of the practice, you know, and just be very black and white. You know, it's we're not yelling and screaming. It's just, hey, guys, what do you think? Any regrets? Did you play your best today? You know, did, did we reach our potential or or not? And, you know, I think a lot of times kids, especially competitive ones, they'll immediately just say, nope, we didn't give it all day. Like, we got to be better. Yeah. You know, they – if they have ownership over it, they'll they'll be the ones that correct it. And, you know, that's something I think you know, like a lot of coaches use. But, um, you know, we often talk about if it's if it's a coach-led team, there's a certain feeling on how good you can be. It's a player-led team. Right. I mean, you can do anything. So, you know, we really encourage our kids. That this is a player-led team. You know, we're here to kind of guide you and lead you, but ultimately it's your team. You know, like we've all had our chance to be juniors or seniors in high school and have our team. Like, this is your chance. This is your team. Like, it's got to be driven by you. And if, if we're coaching effort, then we're in trouble. You know, it's our job to coach basketball. You guys, the effort should be there every day. So, um, so again, kind of getting back to that question, how do you know if you got a great practice for us? I think it's, you know, we know if we we have no regrets about our, our effort and if we thought if we reached our potential, did we, did we play, you know, to the, the best of our ability. And then I think, you know, I think as coaches – as I, you know, especially as varsity coaches, it's really important that we, we do go back and just like you evaluate tape of a game, you know, you got to evaluate your practices. Like, okay, what worked, what didn't work? How did I structure things? You know, maybe I tried to teach that skill way too late in practice. By that point, you know, mentally they, they weren't ready for a new thing. Or, you know, I need to change the way we're teaching this certain skill. Because um, oftentimes, I mean, the kids, they want to get better and they the effort's going to be there. Uh, but sometimes we can tinker with just the way that we're going to teach it or when we're going to teach it or how long we're going to spend teaching a certain thing. Um, And I think if we don't, you know, again, look in the mirror and figure out, okay, how can we be a little bit better? um, You know, then then I think we're in a bad spot as coaches. You know, all of a sudden you're just rolling out the same practice plans year after year and that's not, that's not going to get you where you need
1: to go. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, coach, I want to talk about you know being in Central Oregon. You're you're a little bit geographically isolated from from other 6A teams, right, in the state yeah. of Oregon. So, um, how how do you kind of deal with that as a coach? You know, thinking of like scouting, travel time, sure. et cetera?
2: Well, I mean, it's been a unique deal for us. I mean, we just a few years ago. I mean, we used to be in the IMC, so we more or less had a, a league that was. You know, it's mostly Central Oregon. Um, you know, we've had Pendleton, we've had Hermiston, Hood River, the Dalles. We've had some other kind of outliers that were in that IMC. Um, but for for the most part, our league was was fairly regionalized. And then when Bend, Mountain View, and Summit when we bumped up classifications and went to six A, um, all of a sudden we're we're in the league with Salem. So you know for for us that's and for Salem as well. Obviously, there's just challenges. You know, especially being a winter sport. You know, going three hours over the mountains in a snowstorm on a Tuesday to play Sprague or West or whatever it is, um, yeah, it's just, it's not ideal. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got to control the things you can control and, you know, to, to spend a lot of time worrying about it, uh, isn't going to do us any good. So, um, you know, living in Central Oregon, it, there's definitely, definitely, definitely some challenges that, um, that, have been created because of, you know, just lack of other big schools in in the in vicinity. Um now for us, you know, we look at it like we can't change it, so you just you figure out how to adapt to it. Um, you know, so we have to build in travel stuff. So, you know, if I know we're coming home on a Tuesday night from a game in Salem I have to have very clear expectations about what that Wednesday practice looks like. You know, for us, we, we don't get home until 1 a.m. and our kids are required to be in school the entire day. Well, I know on Wednesday our kids are going to be shot, and uh, yeah. let alone our coaches are probably going to be tired. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, right. uh, so you know, we so we got to be smart about our practices and making sure that our kids are getting adequate recovery time. You know, in the season we we may spend a lot more time doing film work and just trying to limit the amount of reps on our bodies um so you know we do have to we got to be smart about it um we can't just expect these kids to to be able to continue to roll out of bed every single day um when you know when the travel is what it is so um so yeah it's a little different it's a little bit more like a you know like when you're coaching at like a college level and you're building in travel days and what do those look like and how are we going to take advantage mm-hmm. of it so um i you know it's something that that's really important to us
1: yeah, do you do – I'm just curious, do you do anything on, on your your bus trips or anything with character development or leadership stuff or some of that culture stuff you were talking about earlier? Do you kind of use that time to maybe teach those things, or do you kind of just let kids uh, be on their own and, and get ready for the game?
2: You know, you, now you got my head spinning. I feel like I probably should be doing that. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I mean, typically our bus rides – I mean, I look at – our kids, they, they do it all the time, and so it's not um, you know like maybe some other schools in you know Portland area where a long bus ride for them is thirty minutes. You know, our kids, they're living here, they're just they're used to three hour bus rides and three hour car rides, and um, so I think it's just part of the deal. So you'll find on on, on in our program, kids go on the bus. They bust out their schoolwork they'll do some school stuff they'll you know um, so they they take advantage of the time that they have there um, We'll certainly use that time to to try to do some scouting report things and you know make sure okay. as we get closer and closer to our destination that our kids are getting you know more and more locked in so that they're ready to compete when we get off the bus um, so you know we're, we're always trying to just think about how's. You know, winning championships, not games. What's the big picture? How are we going to make sure that our kids don't get burned out? How can we make sure our kids aren't getting sick from all the travel? Um, and just kind of meeting those challenges. So, um, you know, additionally, there's for us, finding games can often be hard. You know, it's difficult to convince teams in the valley that they want to do a home and home where they have to drive to us. So, you know, there's, there's challenges in terms of finding games. Uh, when you look at, you know, scouting, like you mentioned, Um, it's difficult for us to, you know, to get live to a game midweek, you know, against the team Mm -hmm. over in the Valley. Um, So, you know, fortunately, fortunately technology is what it is and and that we are able to get film and and do a lot of our scouting via film. Um, But, yeah, it just looks different for us than it does for a lot of schools around the state.
1: For sure. Uh, I'll switch gears a little bit here, Coach, and and talk about – analytics which has become more and more popular in our game you know you've got the the nato's at alabama you know we're taking a lane or a three um i'm kind of curious how do you use analytics in your program and what are some of the things that, that you look at to maybe measure your team's success
2: yeah you know i think it's just it's so cool as a as a coach these days just the amount of information that we have at our fingertips you know for us we we use huddle and um you know, kind of some of the reports, features, and stuff that, that that are provided to us. You know, I look at the stuff we have now versus you know ten, fifteen years ago. Um, it just makes our job so much easier. And the, to me, the important thing though is, whatever, whatever information that we think is important, making sure that the kids who are ultimately the ones that are on the court making decisions, that they understand why we think those things are important. So. You know, I might look at a reports file and and see certain things that jump out at me, but unless I'm able to adequately explain that to kids and make them realize the importance of it, um, it really doesn't do us a lot of good. So, you know, for us, I think you you try to figure out, hey, what are the two or three things that we really care about that then we can make sure that the kids understand why we care about those things um, so that when we you know, give them a stat, say, at halftime or at the end of a quarter or something like that, that it actually has value to it. Because um, we can throw all sorts of numbers at kids, and if if they don't really understand the rationale behind it, it really doesn't make any sense or give them any, any you know, any tools to be better moving forward. So um, that's something we're, we're trying to do a better job of kind of using some of those numbers even in practice so they start to familiarize themselves with, you know, even a simple, like, points per possession. So, if, you know, if we tell our kids, hey, we're at 0.86 points per possession that they understand that that's not good. <laughs> you know, like we're not, right. we need to get better, whatever. Uh, where if we're not adequately teaching that to them during practice time, we may say that during a game and there may be some kid that looks at me like, is that good? Is that bad? Are we yeah. where we need to be? You know, so, um, so whatever the numbers are that, that, you know, an individual coach's program cares about, you know, I think we need to make sure that, that we teach that to our kids so that they, so they care about it um, now. Certainly, I mean, geez, talk about just the evolution of the game. And I mean, I don't know if it's the Steph Curry effect or what, but man, just the, mm-hmm. the ability of kids to shoot the ball. I mean, I feel like it used to be when you look at a scouting report, it was like, okay, this one kid is a knockdown shooter, and then this other one, you gotta get it, you gotta get your hand up on. You know, like, that may have been it, and now it's like of the top nine kids at play who can't shoot, you know, it seems like everybody can shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, obviously so much of that is analytics driven as, you know, I think, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, would have just balked at that, that no, no, we can't shoot it that much. But then, you know, like we've all learned like, yeah, no, there's real value in, in taking good open threes. Um, and now it's just a matter of, for me, at least I feel like there's, you still have to be the voice of reason with some of these guys that, um, they're yes, three pointers are a great shot, but they do have to be an efficient shot, and they got to be in the flow what you're trying to accomplish and you know, like there's there's still bad threes, and kids still take a lot of bad threes, so we need to try to eliminate those um but yeah I think it's it's just it's been fun to be part of you know the last these last ten years just watching the game grow and watching you know kids really develop a skill set that frankly, I just didn't think really existed a decade ago, so
1: right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have a couple things that you stat maybe in-game, so when you're going into a halftime? Yeah. You, know, you mentioned points per possession. Is, is there anything else yep. that you guys specifically track to, to help so, kids?
2: So we're big on uh, on O-boards and turnovers. So we, we look at, you know, at the most simple form of the game is that we want to get more shots than our opponent and get better shots. So ultimately, if we can get if we can get O boards, that's extra shots. If we can limit their O boards, that's limiting their shots. Uh, and then the turnover game, you know, like how many, how many turnovers are we forcing versus how many we're giving up? You know, how many extra possessions are we creating? So that's something every single game. We're tracking O boards, turnovers, and our kids understand the importance of those things. Um, we do points per possession at halftime. And then the last thing is free throws. So, you know, you know we're always tracking we want to make more free throws than our opponents are attempting. And so if we're not mm-hmm. if we're not getting to the free throw line enough, then to me that that's always an indicator that we're just settling for too many jump shots and that we need to be more aggressive and need, you know attack more. So um so those are the in-game stuff that that we always are giving that information to our kids and they understand, you know, where we want to be every game, what our goals are, where do we need to be to be successful. Um and so those are the ones we dive into and then kind of the more and our deep-seated stats, those are ones that we do post-game uh, when we do our, you know, our our video recap with the guys.
1: Right. Great. Uh, I want to talk about skill development, obviously a big part of, of any program and kind of a lot of times what our off-seasons are dedicated to. Um, mm-hmm. What does what kind of your skill development program look like with, with your guys? And do you do all of it in the off-season or do you try to – have some of the in-season as well. What what does that
2: look like? You know, it's funny. I I don't know how how you feel about uh, skills development over there, but to me what I'm seeing in my athletes is that the skills that they're demonstrating now to me are off the charts. I can't believe some of the stuff that our kids are capable of doing. I mean, some of the ball handling things that they're doing. um, You know, I look at some of the, like, crossover step-back stuff that I think Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it would have blown my mind if I saw a kid do it now, I feel like you know j v kids and freshman kids they're they're doing euro step crossover things that, that didn't even <laughs> exist back then, so um yeah, you know, I'm kind of amazed at just just the general skill level of, of of our basketball players now is is really high um I think of the, there are there's a lot of kids that like I would say they're kind of like workout warriors that they they really know how to get in the gym and go through all their skill development them workouts and um to me i think it's almost swung too far that way and one of the areas i i feel like there's actually a void now is is kids that are just actually playing basketball um i think there's a lot of guys whether it's with a personal trainer or just in their in their in their driveway that they can just i mean they can pound the ball like crazy and do all sorts of unique stuff with the ball um what i think kind of lost art is just you know playing three on three playing four on four how do you you know just make plays in, in a kind of more of an open gym type setting, um, you know, how do you make reads in a pick and roll scenario? How do you, you know, you just read screens? You know, I, I think just kind of some of those things are areas that um, that I've seen maybe slip a little bit the last, you know, five ten years. So you know, it's funny I've actually kind of flipped a little bit when I when I do get the kids in the gym. Oftentimes, I try to create scenarios where they're able to just compete and play. Because I know, I know they're doing the skill stuff on their own. Um, so there's, you know, for me, it's like if I can get ten guys in the gym, then then I want them actually in more of a game setting, making reads and playing. So, you know, we try to do a little bit more of that. Um, now we do. With that being said, on our staff, we have somebody that's dedicated as our skill development guy. So whether it's off season or, or in season, every single day in practice, we have skill development time. So you know, we'll have a ten minute, a fifteen minute session where. Guys are working on their own skill development, um, and, you know, whether it's shots or off the dribble. Um, so we definitely, we spend time on it, but it is an area that I think I'm actually pretty impressed with where our kids are at on that, that end of things. And, uh, you now I'd like to see them actually just, just actually competing and playing a little bit more.
1: For sure. How has it been, um, you know, the 6A practice rule, uh, you know, has mm-hmm. been, I guess, temporary the last couple of years i don't i guess now it's more formal now i don't know it seems kind of yeah
2: kind of more than like norm now announce
1: it. yeah more than norm now i guess yeah. at least for the bigger yeah. schools 5a 6a uh how has sure. that kind of changed what you guys do in a uh, open gym setting
2: yeah you know it's it's funny i going into because when we jumped up to 6a that that was all new to me because prior to that our you know i was operating in a world where it was you no, know, you you could not coach. You know, we could have open gyms, but we couldn't say a word to the kids. So it went from you know very loose in terms of just open gyms in the fall um, to also we jump up to six A and I'm yeah I'm hearing that coaches are having practices and so I'm like oh geez what what does this look like how do we do it so
1: um
2: so I've I've tried to you know, make sure that I'm not just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to be deliberate about, okay, why are we doing this? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to get out of it um, for a school like ours? And you know, hopefully it's the case everywhere, but um multi-sport athletes are really important. And I want our kids going out for fall sports and playing football or, or soccer, whatever it is. Um And so if there's, you know, a, a lot of, of organized practices that are happening in October, uh, I don't want to, you know keep kids from wanting to play a fall sport to be at ours, and in the same way i you know I don't want kids not to play basketball so that they can participate in baseball workouts so um so yeah. to me it's it's kind of that fine line of you know i want I want kids to be able to do multi sports um but at the same time, you know if we have those six hours a week, I want to make sure when we're in the gym that that we're doing things the right way, and kinda of like we we talked about earlier was you know, what's it feel like when you're in the gym? What's the energy feel like? How do kids compete? How do they treat each other? Like, to me, those are the important things that, you know, you don't spend the month of October creating bad habits or having the wrong energy. Um, So that all of a sudden, when tryouts roll around, you've been going at it for six weeks with building bad habits. So, you know, we've got kind of to said, okay, let's, if we're going to be in there, let's go really hard for 45 minutes. And let's make sure that, it's done well and done right and get the work in. Um, and then maybe like I said, like do some skill development or do some open runs. Um, but if we're going to be in there coaching, let's do it right. Uh, but let's, let's probably limit the amount of time. So we would never go the full six hours and have all six of those hours be um, super intense coaching. You know, I think we, we'll break that down into smaller windows. Um, and, and like I mentioned before too, to me, basketball is just a long season when you put in Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything else. It's, it's a grind, and if you know if we're if we're grinding those kids in early October, you know I think by the first of January you can you can get kids that are burned out, and you know certainly for us, like we said, like we want kids excited to continue to be in the gym every day, and I want them peaking at the end of February. So, um, you know we got to try to build into that in October so that it's heading the right direction with the goal of hey, by the end of February we want to be ready to roll.
1: Right, for sure. All right, uh, last question for another break, Coach. It's a really easy one. I'm going to ask you about parents. Um, Sure. (laughs) um, How do you uh, deal with parents in your program? It's oftentimes something that, uh, you know, as head coaches, we, uh, you know, get to deal with and can be frustrating at times. So uh, what are some things you do with your parents um, to kind of get them involved in your program and um, Mm -hmm. allow for them maybe not to be an issue or, or a problem? Yeah,
2: uh, you know, I, so I mentioned you, know, I have the opportunity to, to do some work with proactive coaching and doing that, one of the, one of the real blessings of that was being able to do kind of a deep dive into just, you know, how can we come alongside parents so that kids can have the best experience possible? And I think, um, spending a lot of time on that and doing some public speaking, you know, to parent groups, um, I just learned a lot about what you know how can that be a positive um, uh, scenario or experience? And I think one of the things I've learned is that coaches and parents they both want a great experience for their kids. And I think for the most part, parents that's all they want. They want their kids to have a positive, wonderful experience with these sports. Um, and sometimes where the the problems that are arise isn't because their heart's in the wrong place. It's just they don't necessarily know how to properly release their kid to the game. And um, so I think giving parents a tool so that they can have a better experience and their kid can have a better experience, I think it'd be a real win-win, where um, yeah, I think parents, if, if they feel like, hey, I, I'm as a coach, if I'm gonna give you guys some things you can do so that your son, number one, can, can have a better experience, can perform better, and as a family, you can have better relationships moving out of this thing, then hopefully that's something that they're really open to. So so we actually start talking to parents in our youth program. So starting in fifth grade, we start talking to them at that point about, okay, how, what's this look like? How do you properly come alongside your student athlete to help him become the player that he wants to become? And how do you do that in a way where, where you can enjoy the experience yourself? And, uh, but it takes a lot of work. And so I think for us, you know, trying to, again, view it not as an adversarial relationship where you know parents are, are an issue or trouble or whatever um and and as opposed to that just you and i say i'm, I'm going to partner with you as a parent to help your son have a great experience and become the man that we all want him to become um and i think if if as a coach if you're treating kids right and doing right by them um and you're open and transparent about things i think there's a better chance of of that um, not becoming such a, such a challenging negative thing. Um, Cause certainly, I mean, you you hear that time and time again with coaches and and coach burnout and everything else that once, Mm -hmm. once it flips, it it can be really hard on coaches. So I think putting in the time and effort, um, especially with, with the parents of your younger athletes, so that they have a real clear picture of who you are as a staff, what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, really what you believe in, what you stand for, um, and then how does my kid fit into that equation? I think, um, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for more success.
1: Absolutely. Thanks coach. All right. We're going to take another break. When we return, coach Fraser will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon basketball coaches podcast.
0: Coaches, save the date! The 2021 OACA OBCA Nike Basketball Coach of the Year Clinic will be held Friday, October 8th at Liberty High School. Also, plan to join us for the second annual OBCA Golf Tournament Saturday, October 9th at the OGA Golf Course in Woodburn. You can find more information at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with John Frazier. He's the boys' basketball coach at Summit High School. Uh, coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to push you up against the shot clock. Uh, I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer, and uh, we're going to go rapid-fire questions that should have one- to two-word answers, uh, and we're going yep. to see how many questions we can get to. Sound good? Sound good. Let's do it. All righty. 35 seconds on the clock starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes. Should it be implemented at the sub-varsity levels? Uh, yes. If you're up three with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Yes. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Uh, hard hedge. Do you think the three-point line should be moved back? No. What's your favorite sports movie?
2: Ooh, uh, Gladiator.
1: What's one word officials would use to describe you?
2: Uh, patience. Patience.
1: Good. That's time. Well done, coach. Good, uh, good possession there. Good possession. <laughs> well done. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, shot clock first uh because it's kind of a hot topic issue and, and actually recently uh NFHS just allowed states to make that decision on their own, uh, mm-hmm. which is exciting news, hopefully. Uh but you mentioned you were in favor of a shot clock. Can you kind of expound on why that is?
2: Yeah, you know, I think for us, um, you know, we played games up in Washington, we played games in California, you know, both of which have the shot clock. And, you know, my experience with it is that uh, you know, 99% of the time you don't even realize it's there. You know, the, you know, the way the game is played now, they, kids get up and down, and whether it's a 30-second shot clock or 35-second shot clock, whatever it is, normally that the shot's going to go up um, before that time anyway. So it really doesn't affect the play that much. Um, and, you know, it does also, I think it's a little bit more exciting for fans. You know, when you do have that urgency, you know, Coming down to the end of a shot clock, if it's, you know, six, five, four, three, like, there's an excitement level to that, and it forces kids to, to have to make a decision a little bit more quickly there. Um, so again, I don't, I don't think it really has a huge impact on the flow of, of the game. Uh, where I would like to see it though is really just those last four minutes of a game. You know, if you have a, you know, and you see it a lot in Oregon, you know, if you have a five point leave of five minutes to go, there's a lot of schools that, you know, they'll use that, hey, let's, Let's run a minute off the clock and make the defense chase us. And to me, that's not really in the spirit of the game. Um, you know, I think right. it, it just really changes the flow of things. Um, and so I, I think it just makes the, the end of game scenarios again those last few minutes of a of a four to six point game. To me, it, it it keeps the flow the you know the natural flow of the game moving. And I think it would lead to some more just exciting finishes. Um, so again, I. I don't think it would have a, a huge impact on, on most possessions. Um, but I do think ultimately it would improve the game.
1: Yeah. What's the strangest thing you've seen in a basketball gym?
2: The strangest thing I've seen in the basketball gym. That's a great question. I, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like truly strange. I think the, the cool yeah. thing for me coaching in Oregon and especially coaching on this side of the mountains is, um, it's just getting to see a variety of old gyms. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. you you get to go to these, sometimes some of these smaller 2A, 3A schools, to some gyms that have been there for 50 or 60 years. And, you know, so many of, especially the new gyms, they all kind of look the same. Um, and they can be nice and yeah. beautiful and everything else. But uh, I think a lot of it is just the, the old school gyms in this state are just awesome. And there's nothing better than going into a really old gym where you just feel like the walls could talk. And you'll see, you know, just quirky things where you wonder why in the world they ever built it the way they did, but now it makes it really unique and different. Um, and so I think for me, that's something that's been really fun over the years is just ending up in some of these, you know, especially smaller towns where the gyms haven't been changed. Um, I think there's some really unique settings and I think that it, it's something that's really cool about Oregon basketball.
1: For sure. For sure. Um, <clears throat> Special situations are things that, you know, all coaches work on, um, Mm -hmm. especially as you get further into the year. Is there a specific special situation or two maybe that you guys practice quite a bit to to prepare for end of game or end of quarter situations?
2: Yeah, that's right. So we always kind of, we break down our, our, our practices more or less like football. So we do offense, defense, and special teams. And so we always talk about special teams are kind of those special situations, so whether it's you know, baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, end of quarter situations, uh, like you mentioned in the 35 second, you know, deal where it's, you know, you're, you're up three with 10 seconds to go. When and where do you foul? How do you foul? Um, so, so we really, I really enjoy those situations. I actually think, especially for working with, with youth and kids, I think situations are, are naturally kind of a fun thing. Um, so especially as the season progresses and you, you try to, you know, make practices a little bit shorter and keep the kids, you know, physically a little fresher. Um, we spend more and more time on those on those types of situations. Um, and you know, I, I've seen time and time again, it's just those teams that are are really well prepped for that moment um, are the ones that are going to be able to to actually execute when they need to. Um, you know, I'll never forget when uh, when Villanova about five years ago knocked off North Carolina on the on the game winner. Uh, I remember yeah. hearing. Here J. Ride interviewed afterwards, and he said, well, it was, it was just simple for us. We just ran our four-second play, and there wasn't – you know, he didn't have to draw anything up. It was just they'd practiced it over and over and over again all year long. He's like, I hardly even needed to call a timeout. I could have just told him four-second play. Um, and, you know, that definitely was, was a kind of <laughs> wake-up call to me as a coach, too, where it's like, all right, I – Two seconds, what are we doing? Four seconds, what are we doing? Eight seconds, what are we doing? And it's fine if I know what it is, but, but it's a heck of a lot better if, if our players know exactly what we're running and how we're going to run it. Um, so that's something we spent a lot of time on. Number one, because I think it's helpful, but number two, I think, I think kids have fun with that stuff. So, um, uh, you know, making sure that we understand in the game scenarios and how we want to tackle, um, each different one. Um and just trying to win again, win those special teams where we're, you know, baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, but we're never doing up buckets and, and we're scoring on those. So
1: Yeah, that's great stuff, Coach. How do, how do you go about selecting team captains? What does that process look like?
2: You know, that's a that's a great question. I think um it's something I, I probably spend too much time thinking about and worrying about. Uh, I read a few years ago, like Brad Stevens, after his first year at Butler, he never had team captains again because um, was like, well, they should all be leaders. And so, you know, and to me that, that did stand out. It's not as if, you know, Hey, you select one guy and now he's the leader and no one else has to follow the leadership role. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important that we find ways for a variety of kids to fill leadership roles. Um, and, you know, it could be a bench captain. It could be a weight room captain. It could be like, there's different ways that I think we can empower kids to learn to be leaders. And, um, you know, one of the things we've done in our program is, you know, I, I think one of the challenges you automatically have with, with leaders, and you talk to, to coaches a lot. And I, I feel like one of the things I hear often is, yeah, we we still have leaders in our program and, to me, leadership, is it's a skill that needs to be taught just like a jump shot or or anything else. And so if we're not taking the time to teach kids to be leaders, then it really shouldn't be a surprise that year in and year out that we don't always have that great leader. Um, so that's something we've really, you know, starting with freshmen, we put our whole freshman team through leadership training. So we have a book that we work through, and they have questions, and they go through it. It's a weekly thing. So they start to understand what does it look like to be a leader. And then we again carry those concepts all the way through with our J V and varsity. So that ideally by the time you have, you know, eight to twelve guys on your varsity roster, I would love for all of those guys to be viewed as leaders and have true leadership skills. Um I think too often with with high school sports, it's okay, congratulations, you're a senior. You've made it to a senior, so now you get to lead stretches and you need to you get to shake hands with the referee. And to me, it's like that's not what leadership is, you know. So, um, you know, really trying to train up our leaders. And if we have three or four of them, great. If we have six or seven, that's even better. But um, so when it comes to that time to actually choosing our leadership council or our captains, um, we involve everybody in that. So we do have our players all vote on who they want captains to be. We have our coaches all vote on who those captains should be. Um, and so it could be, you know, two to four leaders that we, that we have, um, or it could be, Hey, we have two or three captains, but then I also have, you're going to be the bench captain. You know, you're going to be again, like I said, the weight room captain, you're going to be like, and give other guys, other leadership roles that they can really embrace, um, to give them more of a voice.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot, coach. And that's great. Like you're saying when you have, cause the, you know, you don't want to, um, upset somebody right if you can only send two captains but you've got eight of them you know yep. that's not fair or you rotate it so I, I like that idea of assigning them a captain to something uh, whatever that yeah. is and and letting them take ownership of that right and that's what yeah. makes to player-led team so that's good i like that yeah. uh, uh do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you guys do
2: uh yeah so it, I, I just stole this one from my high school coach. So I've been doing this for years. Um, so his name is Rich Belcher and he's, he's now in the Washington state coaches hall of fame up there and, um, you know, won over 400 games. It was just a kind of a legend up there. So he always held the Belcher games. And so now I hold the Frazier games. And essentially what we do is we have, have our whole team come to my house and, uh, we have them get paired up and they all then go through basically it's like an Olympics of, pretty dumb, silly activities that they have to do. So, you know, whether it's like a child's puzzle that they get timed on, how quickly they can put it together. Um, You know, we have – we'll take a bunch of straws and tape and who can build the, you know, the largest straw tower that can stand on its own. We'll do pop a shot. We'll do egg tosses. You know, I get all that kind of stuff. Um, So we'll spend a couple hours and, you know, we give them all their, you know, team names and we'll put prizes on it so that, it's funny because yeah, at first they're all kind of looking around like, is this is this really going on? And then after about 20 minutes, the competitive kids really start getting after it. And after like an hour and a half, they're all, you know, competing and yelling at each other and like it's you know, life or death over who wins the, the dumb prize that I've come up with for the year. So, um,
0: right.
2: so that's been something I just I've loved over the years. It's great having, you know, guys at my house and doing something away from the gym, and um, yeah, it's just a chance for them to. Just to be kids, you know, just to be goofy and be kids yeah. together, and um, so that's something that again I took from somebody else, and uh, I'm I'm glad that I learned about it because I think it's been a real fun thing for our program. For
1: sure, that's great. Uh, what's your favorite drill?
2: Oh man, that's a good question. I uh, I naturally am always kind of a defensive guy, so um, I. I Tend to anything that's you know competitive on the defensive end. I get I just get a lot more excited about. Um, but yeah, I, I took a drill from uh, uh, San Antonio Spurs. You know, they call it cutthroat, and so it's basically a four on four rotation with time and score on it. So I think anytime you can put time on a on a drill and add score on it, it's automatically going to be a more competitive environment. So uh, for us, that's one that's just again four on four and four with certain rules that we put in place um, that's that's highly competitive with time on it. Um, and I think it's something that, again, we use probably once or twice a week in in, in one way or another, um, and it's been a great one for us.
1: Yeah. All right, Coach, I think that's, uh, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Cool, Derek. Hey, I really appreciate you reaching out and allowing me to come on, and
1: uh, this was a lot of fun. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Frazier, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up.
0: Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website, or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail dot com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.